Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun, and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists, and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy, and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, my angels. So every so often we have a guest who joins us on the podcast who doesn't have studio recording equipment. And whenever we take this decision, it's always a bit of a gamble. Sometimes it works out perfectly and our sound engineers can work their magic on it. But every so often the sound quality is a bit of a problem. And today is one of those occasions. I'm such a perfectionist that it really pains me to release things that aren't perfect for you guys. But after sitting with this today, I realized it would be such a shame to shelve such an important and beautiful episode. So I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. And then next week, we will be back to our usual studio sound quality. But for today, I recommend grabbing a coffee, grabbing a tea and listening to this episode on your hot girl walk because when you're out and about, the sound quality is just a little less obvious. Anyway, I love you guys. Thank you. And I will see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast. Today, I have Angie Lila River with me. And literally, we've just been laughing because I get nerves at the beginning of every episode. And I always like nearly mispronounce people's names that are very clearly pronounced in a certain way. So if you can hear me giggling, that is why I found Angie on TikTok and I just felt like she was sharing such important information, but in a way that was very grounded, very inspirational, um, and with really beautiful sort of graphics and videos and stuff. So I am so excited to have her joining me today for us to talk through the concepts of how the fuck do you actually feel your feelings. Now, for anyone listening, you might be thinking that is a very abstract discussion to be having. And I think the truth is, is that for many of us, it is a very abstract thing. And I often say to my mom and to my dad, you know, when I was a kid, I was never asked, how does that make you feel? So I think like so many of us, I've grown up into an adult that is only just now in my 30s starting to learn how to like identify what is going on. So today we're going to be talking about embodiment. We're going to be talking about suppression, intellectualizing, feeling, distraction, and so much more. So Angie, hi, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm so excited to be talking about this with you today. I really think that in the next few years, we're going to be seeing a lot more around this sort of moving out of the cognitive space and into the somatic space, the mind-body connection and and these mind-body techniques. But to begin with, I'd love to take it back to the foundations. So let's start with this concept of intellectualizing versus feeling. What does this actually mean? Yeah, 
So first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation. And yeah, so that's a really good question. Intellectualizing is everything to do with analyzing. So logic, the rational, whereas feeling is more being with the felt sense, being with sensation, and it's more intuitive. And obviously, we can't separate the body from the mind. They work together. They exist together. But in today's society, we tend to see that we tend to favor the intellectual faculties over the more intuitive ones. So feeling, sensing, etc. So an example of this is imagine you're feeling really happy and you feel a big wave of sadness arising out of nowhere. And then you spend like 20 minutes, 15 minutes trying to deconstruct why it's there, analyzing it, picking it apart, or maybe even judging it as bad or wrong or good. This is an example of prioritizing, intellectualizing, over feeling it. And when we're working with the body, things often don't even need to be analyzed. They don't need to make sense to the mind at all. They need to be felt. So, yeah. You are so right that we try and add a story to what it is that we're feeling. And I'm going to use like just waking up this morning as an example. So I woke up and I was so low, like I just didn't feel good. Like my body felt really heavy and I didn't feel well rested. And I took my dog out into the garden and I just did not feel good. I was actually surprised at how bad I felt. And I found myself walking around the garden, literally doing that, like intellectualizing or trying to intellectualize what had happened. So I was like, oh, maybe it's because I was like, I was underslept the night before. So I tried to catch up last night and I didn't get enough sleep. Or maybe I'm not feeling like inspired by something this week. And then of course you go down a rabbit hole of thinking like, oh my God, well, maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, or maybe I'm in the wrong job, or maybe I'm in X, Y, Z. So you're so right that we try and intellectualize what we're feeling. And we're going to talk through this so much in the rest of the episode. But I think for me, I knew that I needed to feel. So I went inside and I had a shower. And at the end of the shower, I did a cold shower. And it was so frigging cold. Like at my parents' house, it is like ice cold. And I really focused on my breathing and coming into my body. And then I did a little bit of breath work. And then I came downstairs and I had breakfast and I had a coffee. And honestly, that mood has gone. And I think it's so interesting that I could have spent the whole day intellectualizing if I hadn't have done these kind of more embodiment practices to know that I just need to reconnect with my body and bring some life force back into me. So I I think it's really important for people to understand this whole intellectualizing thing. And I think that we've probably had similar upbringings is in that we both went to sort of pushy academic schools where I just remember working very hard as a kid and just studying so hard for all my exams. And it was like expected that I would get all straight A's and, and whatnot. And if I'm not mistaken, you're actually at Oxford University. So, you know, you must have done some incredible academic journey to get there. So I'd love it if we could just discuss that. Like, where does this start? Where does this intellectualizing begin? And do you think it's like rewarded through society and the childhoods that we have today? Yeah, that's such a good question. I definitely feel like our society tends to reward cognitive abilities. And for example, for me, I grew up and started realizing that I was really good at analyzing, at picking things apart, at getting into the nitty gritty details of things and why they're there. 
And I received a whole lot of academic validation from these cognitive abilities. And so, yeah, that, that kind of validation pushed me to go further and further. And obviously there's some, basically our society definitely rewards us for our cognitive processes and our cognitive abilities and tends to favor these over the more intuitive ones. Like you see um, this kind of constant need to have concrete answers, like things that we can measure and quantify and measure basically. And so we kind of prioritize having access to this kind of information over the information that is just known and felt without really knowing where it comes from, what it is, without having to understand it rationally. I think it's really important to understand, like you said, that we're almost rewarded for being in our heads. As a child, it's like focused on your grades and how you're performing at school. And then it's sort of, how are you performing in other areas of life? And then you get into exams and it's exam performance and then it's university and then it's getting a job. And, you know, for me, I found that I was, I went to a school where it was like, well, you just become a doctor or you become a lawyer. There was no other options on the table. So I became a lawyer. And then I ended up in this job where I was like so deeply unhappy and so depressed that I didn't even realize because I didn't even know, you know, what being disconnected from my purpose or my just general happiness was age sort of 20, 21. No one along the way teaches us like this is how you feel something. And that's why I'm so excited to do this episode with you today. And I think the other thing that people don't teach us is this concept of suppression. As a kid, no one explains to you that you are suppressing your emotions, you know, oh, by you just going away to your bedroom and removing yourself from the family unit and from being lost in book world or being lost in, you know, online chat world or whatever it is, gaming world that a lot of these kids are doing today, that often you can actually be suppressing the really uncomfortable emotions. And I know that I've spent my whole life either suppressing or exploding, never finding that kind of like middle ground. And I guess my question for you here is, what are your thoughts on suppression? And and I guess what are some of the signs that we are suppressing? I'd love to just share some very specifics so people can be like, hey, oh my God, like I do that all the time. I never realized that that was suppressing. You know, maybe it's that lump in our throat that we push down or it's like the tears that are like trying to come out and we're like, no, no, no. What are your thoughts on suppression? Yeah, so the sensations themselves aren't necessarily signs that you're suppressing the emotion. But as you said, it's the tears that you suppress or the lump that you push down. So it's not about the sensation itself, like the lump in your throat or the tears, but how do you respond to the sensation as it arises? So if I feel tears coming and I, for example, tell myself, not now, I don't have time for this. I push my own experience away. I suppress my own experience. Or another way that I could respond to that would be to put a hand on my heart and say to myself, it's okay, you can let it out. Let's take five minutes, 10 minutes now to just feel this. Another really big sign that you're suppressing your emotions is having big emotional breakdowns that are seemingly out of nowhere. So as you said, snapping, 
out of nowhere. I used to do this all the time over seemingly small things too. And of course, finally, this also varies from person to person. I know for some people, they may often just feel kind of a sense of numbness and that for them could be an indication that they're suppressing their emotions. I pulled out a couple of things that you said there that I'd love to just run through because I feel like they are so applicable to so many people listening. And I think it's really, really interesting to look back at your childhood and maybe start to analyze and understand, even from such a young age, how were you dealing with uncomfortable emotions? You know, did you disconnect? Like you said, would you go to your bedroom? Would you want to be on your own? Or did you maybe explode? Um, And so much of that can be learned from the environments that we are born into, as well as obviously there being some genetic predisposition to some of those as well. But I think that the big explosion piece is really interesting because I was never considered to be like a difficult child. You know, I was very good at school and I did all of my extracurricular activities, like a good girl in inverted commas. But what I did do was I would have big emotional explosions. And I think that looking back, it's because I was suppressing and holding on to so many emotions in my family unit that it was like, as a child, if you're not taught how to process them, then, you know, like you said, you either maybe push them down or you disassociate from them to the point that at some point there might be a big explosion. And I know we're going to get onto anger later in this episode, and I can't wait to get into that with you. And I think that the, the disassociation point is something I'd love to ask you about as well, because It's not something that I've ever personally experienced. I definitely feel like I'm a hypersensitive individual. I even have a chronic pain disorder. So it's like my body feels everything. And I'm sure there's a huge amount there for us to unpack at a later date because, you know, it started after a huge trauma that I didn't have any support around. So a lot of it was like suppressed and yeah, that's kind of what brought me into the therapy room and into the somatic space as well, because like you try everything and then you realize like none of these things are healing me and there's obviously something deeper going on. But like I was saying, I I don't personally relate to the disassociation. It's like, I've always definitely gone more into the more sensitive, more crying, more arguing, more explosions rather than the disconnection piece. But I have been with an ex-boyfriend who was highly disassociated from trauma, had gone through a lot of things in his life. And, you know, I think we see it even when there isn't a major trauma. We see people that stonewall as their coping mechanism and and they shut down. And I know that this is something that you very vulnerably and beautifully shared your experience of on social media. So I'd love it if you could just share a little bit of your experience around disassociation personally and also what that might mean for someone listening that might be like, no, I don't disassociate, but actually could have been disassociating for a very long time without actually realizing it. Yeah. So my understanding of my own dissociation is that it was a coping mechanism, a way to get through a period where I did not feel safe to feel and be with the emotions that I was feeling or that I had. So it kind of came in. And for me, it was always a sense of feeling detached from my body. I remember going through days and weeks at school, feeling like I was living in a dream and even sometimes having the sense of when I would speak that it would come from outside of myself, but knowing that it was actually coming from me. So those those for me were indications that I was dissociated. I felt a lot of distance from my body, even though I was obviously still in it. And 
yeah, for me, that was definitely something that I found improved with time as I learned to process my emotions more, as I built more resource and more capacity to be with the sensations that are in my body. I found that naturally over time, I didn't have as much of a need to leave my body. And it's so incredible to even just understand that, like you said, this is a coping mechanism. I think it's so important to understand that, you know, whatever your reaction is to emotion when you're listening to this is that arguably you've just developed whatever coping mechanism works for you. And often we do that so many years before we're even consciously aware of what we're doing. So I think that, you know, from Angie and I, we're both coming at this episode with so much compassion for however it is that your body has responded to learning to deal with uncomfortable situations. And I saw on your TikTok how someone was saying, you know, you've helped me feel at home in a body that never felt like mine. And I think that, you know, that's not something that I personally can relate to, but I think it's really, really beautiful to understand that if you potentially have gone through some level of disassociation or disconnection, that you won't feel safe and grounded and embodied in in that body. And, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the, the explosions as well, you know, the explosions of anger, do you find that that generally comes when people have been suppressing, 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 and it gets to a point where they either don't disassociate totally and they go the other way, which is like, I can't suppress anymore and everything is going to overwhelm me and, you know, it's just going to come out. Is that kind of what you see going on with these explosions? Yeah, definitely. I feel that those explosions, those kind of meltdowns. And I used to have these all the time as a teenager. So I'll also speak from my experience. I used to repress, suppress my emotions, suppress my anger. I would feel it bubbling up and I'd push it down and be like, not today, not right now. And I'd never come back to it, right? So it would build over weeks, over days, over months. And then eventually at some point I would lose my shit. And for me, that would look like I would break stuff, I would yell, I would do self-destructive things just because I didn't know how to deal with the feelings that I had. They felt too big for me to actually be with. I really appreciate you sharing that because I think there's still so much shame around anger in today's society, particularly being a woman. The patriarchy tells us to sit down and shut up and be quiet and be small and not take up too much space and definitely not be opinionated and certainly not be angry. And I really relate with you. You know, I think that I have had a lot of outbursts of anger, you know, not only just as a child, but even as a teenager and, and in my relationships, you know, I was in such a toxic relationship midway through my twenties and there was just so much anger, like physical and breaking things. And it was just so messy. And even today I would still say I'm better at handling things because I don't let it build up and up and up. And I also don't suppress and suppress and suppress. So I find life a lot more manageable because it's like every day I just deal with whatever stepping stone is there. And then I deal with that and, and it doesn't ever build up into this like crazy explosion. But even for example, this morning, again, I was out walking my dog and I was already feeling low. And then I got a message that really, really frustrated me. And I just felt really overlooked by it. And I just felt like the person that had sent it to me wasn't like cherishing me and supporting me in the way that that person should be because of their proximity to me and their closeness. 
And instead of feeling upset, you know, like, oh, I feel like a little bit betrayed or unsupported. I just felt the anger, you know, like coming up, like I felt it coming up into my chest and into my arms. And it was like <gasps> the tight chest, et cetera, et cetera. So I would love to know from you, what do you do now as an embodiment coach and as someone who has learned to navigate these really difficult emotions what happens? When do you start processing the anger and how do you start processing it? I guess is my two questions. Mm, when to start processing it and how to start processing it. Yeah, those are really good questions. For me, what I will try to do is feel it as it arises. And of course, it's not always possible. Like, for example, this morning, feeling that heat rising up in the chest, it can be enough to just breathe into that sensation for a moment and actually feel the physical sensation of the anger. So for me, it often feels like heat or tension in the chest or in the belly to be with that, to breathe into it. If you do have more time, and this is also a practice that I do quite regularly when I feel the need to or when, or just periodically, is to do something called a rage release practice or an anger release practice. And that sounds fancier than what it actually is, which Usually for me, that looks like hitting pillows and screaming. The really important thing with this is to be moving your body, to be breathing, and to be letting some sound through. These are all going to help anger move through your body in a physical way. Because with anger, what we tend to do is we tend to clench and hold and tighten and contract when it actually wants to move through your body. It wants to be released in a way that's safe. And so by giving yourself these windows of time where you can have a safe anger release or a safe temper tantrum, you're allowing it to move through in a way that's not going to harm you. As you were talking about the rage release there, it just made me realize like how stigmatized the feminine rage release still is because it brought me back this memory. And it was that when I was at university, I was in a house full of six girls, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the girls downstairs, like, I can't even remember what happened, but I heard like a banshee scream from her bedroom. Like, you know, it was like so angry, exasperated. And honestly, to this day, I have thought to myself, how fucking weird that was. Like, you know, wow, like what the fuck was she doing? Like, but I think it actually is reflective of like how suppressed I was at that point, and to some extent, like still am getting on board with breaking down these stigmas that society has like brainwashed into us, that actually having like a healthy rage release practice is amazing. And I think it's something that we all should try. And I hope that for everyone listening, like, let's just make a commitment that the next time that anger is coming up, let's just go and scream into a pillow just to see how it feels, you know, that, that's kind of where you have to start with these practices is like, it's not like learning a language, right? It's not like overnight, everything's just going to make sense. It's about dipping your toe in the water and being like, okay, when I'm angry, what happens if I breathe into it? Okay. If I'm angry, what happens if I breathe it out or scream it out, et cetera, et cetera. So I really appreciate you sharing that practice. And I'm definitely committed to trying that the next time, you know, without judging myself and without judging like anyone else that's screaming. 
And it also reminded me of this other podcast that I produced for one of my clients and it's on cold water therapy. And there was this beautiful episode with a girl who lost her sibling. And she said that she would just go into the cold water and she would scream like so viscerally underwater because it's like, I got goosebumps talking about it. Cause it's like the only place that she could like release her rage at the world into the world an important nuance to the anger piece with the with practices like this where you're releasing anger if you are doing it in partnership with someone so say you're having an argument with your partner and you're like okay I'm gonna take 20 minutes there needs to be some form of consent and communication around that in order for it to be a safe and healthy release of anger right if I start doing it without communicating to my partner in front of them, that could potentially be very scary. And I think that's also partially what you shared that experience with your housemate hearing her scream. It was, there's something um, disruptive about it. And so there does really need to be a level of consent and communication if you are going to bring it in front of them, or if you're going to go off and do it, also communicating that to them in a way that feels safe for both of you. So that could be something like if I'm noticing a lot of anger, a lot of charge arising out of out of the conversation that we're having, and it feels like too much for me to stay in that conversation without losing my shit at them, I might voice, hey, I'm noticing so much anger arising, and I need to go and take 10 minutes, 15 minutes to be with it, and I will come back to you in 20 minutes after I've moved it through and we can continue this conversation or asking them for consent around, hey, I'm noticing some anger arising. Would you mind if I just took some moments to, to breathe into it before we move on or took some moments to go and hit some pillows, whether you do that in front of them or not, that's also something that needs to be communicated. I think that's so important because I've got to the point where I can say to my partner, you know, I'm feeling really frustrated. I can feel it rising up in my body. I need to take a few moments, but often I don't actually do anything in those moments, if that makes sense. So you kind of maybe go to a different room and then you're stood there and you're like, well, I'm just fucking angry at you because like, you shouldn't have fucking done that. You're thinking like, oh, you're just thinking about the anger and you're not actually doing anything with those moments that you're like taking out, if that makes sense. So I think you've already just taught me here, like, okay, cool. The next time that that happens, I'm going to just say, you know, communicate, like you said, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling it rising up. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling like if we continue this discussion, it might be destructive or damaging to this partnership that we're in. And I really don't want to do that. So, you know, consent. Do I have your consent to take some time out? And then actually, when you take that time out, actually do something, like you said, like moving it through your body, smacking the pillows, screaming, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe asking them to leave the house whilst you do the screaming. Cause I don't know if I personally could do the release, like with people listening. Yeah. It's like not a vibe, but I would also love us to talk about distraction. Why do we distract from feeling uncomfortable feelings? Of course, it feels easier to get dopamine hits from scrolling on TikTok or to veg out in front of a Netflix show than it feels to actually sit with your feelings. And that makes sense. So I want to normalize that. It's a coping mechanism and sometimes it's actually necessary. So for instance, when I was going through my breakup in the summer, 
I distracted myself a lot. I spent a lot of time scrolling, a lot of time watching series, and it was a way for me to get through that period that was very difficult. The key is that I also gave myself windows of time to feel my feelings, and then I would allow myself to go back to the distraction. So this is really the crucial, crucial part is to intentionally create space for you to feel your emotions, to be with your emotions. And that can look like so many different things. It can look like taking a big, deep breath when you notice that you're triggered. Or if you notice a sense of sadness arising when you're sitting on the train, just breathing into that for a moment. It can also look like taking 10 minutes when you get home from work to lie on the carpet and breathe or doing a movement practice. So many different options. It doesn't have to be super time-consuming. I love that piece around the intentionality of feeling your emotions. And I very much resonate with the breakup piece. I had a breakup that floored me um, a while back. And I think that you're so right. You know, we we just want the pain to go away. So we look to the numbing, you know, we look to the numbing, we look to the, how can I watch this all 12 episodes of it of not think about reality. And then when it's finished, I'm going to pick up TikTok. And then when that's finished, I'm going to eat a pizza and then I'm going to go to sleep. You know, it, we, we're kind of in this constant, like, I just have to get through the day mentality, but we do that just by like distracting, distracting, distracting. And I think that's so important. You're right to actually like feel the moments. And, you know, this can apply to so many things like we're sharing about a breakup because it's something we've personally gone through. But I can imagine that, you know, grief is the same or rejection or change or whatever it is that you're going through. And I think that it's about taking space, like you said, to, to let that come through. Like, for example, if it is grief and you stumble across, you know, something that triggers you and it's a photo of you and your loved one, you know, instead of just being like, oh fuck, why did I look at that? You know, like hide the picture, put it in your hidden album, put the phone down and then go and do something else. It's like, okay, this, this is really going to fucking hurt and I'm going to sit with it and like, just almost like let those emotions like come up and come out and yeah, not suppress them. So I think that that is is really important is this like building out some intentionality within the day. And I think this concept of intentionality is a very self-loving and self-respecting one because it's saying, I'm actually going to do this for you. Like I'm going to make us work through these horrible emotions together for the greater good of our healing in the short, mid and long term. And I think this ties into something that I saw on your TikTok, which was that basically this concept of like, the more you can be with your own pain, the more parts of you that you can accept and approve of. And the more emotions that you sit with, the freer you can become. And I would love to talk about that because I still think today so many people are like, well, why do I have to feel my emotions? Like I, I, I'm fine not feeling them. Like I've got through life so far not feeling them. I've got through life so far suppressing them, et cetera, et cetera. And actually I think that when you move into understanding the concept of shame, which was huge from therapy, like one of the biggest things that I've learned from therapy was how much shame I was holding that I didn't even realize I was holding um, and still do hold. I think it's a, it takes a lifetime to unravel some of these things. But yeah, I'd love to just talk about that concept of really how you can move into a happier, healthier version of you by going through this discomfort. Yeah. So we tend to attach ideas of wrong and right to our experiences. 
And when we do this, especially when we attach ideas of wrong or bad to our experience, we are pushing it away from ourselves. And when we learn to approve of ourselves, we're accepting it, we're drawing it closer, we're not making ourselves wrong. So let's say, for instance, you notice that you feel extremely, extremely, extremely jealous when you see your partner talking to another woman. You can't stop that jealousy from arising. You can't just not feel jealous ever again. So you have two options in this scenario. The first option is that the voice of shame says, oh my God, why the fuck am I like this? Why can't I just be a normal girlfriend? Why do I have to be so crazy? And later I might make a passive aggressive comment to my partner because the jealousy is still there. It hasn't gone. The second option is the voice of approval, practicing bringing the voice of approval and the voice of approval might say, wow, there is so much jealousy here. Let's breathe into it for a moment. And jealousy for me often feels like heat in my belly. There might be a sense of rage too. I'll breathe into that heat in the belly, maybe even move it through later if there's still some anger. And then later, later, I could even voice it to my partner if it was necessary and whilst taking ownership of it because it's my jealousy, it's not his jealousy. In the first example, I'm rejecting my own experience. I'm making it wrong. I reject my jealous part and it causes me to lash out. Versus in the second example, I let myself have the experience without becoming it, without letting it consume me. The jealousy doesn't own me. It's just a part of me. And so this liberates me. My parts no longer consume me. Instead, they get to be just that, just parts of me. Yeah, it's really interesting, this concept of just feeling the feels, because I think that, like we said at the beginning of the episode, we're so cognitive. So the second we start to feel jealous, we move into that cognitive space. So why am I jealous? What did he or she do to cause that? What did I go through to be jealous of him or her? Oh, that was that person in my past that did this. And because of that, I now feel like this. And that person is similar to that person. And we sort of cognitively connect the dots. And I do think there is some value in the cognitive that you can acknowledge like, okay, actually I have cycles here caused by X that, you know, lead to Y. But I think the part that's missing in that cognitive space and sometimes in the cognitive therapy space is feeling the jealousy. Like you said, you know, feeling the anger because you can cognitively understand something, but it's never going to be processed if it's not ever worked with in the body. So I love you sharing that with everyone listening. And I guess that brings us to the concept of embodiment. You know, it's quite an abstract concept for many people. Um, And I think people know that it means like, oh, it's something to do with the body. But in your words, what do you actually think embodiment means? and, And what does practicing it mean? Like, is embodiment just processing your emotions? For me, embodiment is about connecting to your body. And so practicing it is practicing connecting to your body in any ways that feel true and right for you. It doesn't have to be this big mystical thing. It can be simply breathing into your belly when you're riding the bus and noticing the sensation of your feet in your shoes. Or it might be the way that you do intuitive movement after a long day of work whatever feels alive and true for you, but really at its core, it is simply 
connecting to your body and bringing more intentionality into this process. And I think taking embodiment one step further, it's really important to discuss this concept of almost like hyper-focusing on emotions. And I think jealousy is a great one that you shared because I don't know about you or anyone listening, but I can get very, very in my head. Like I can get like overwhelmed by an emotion to the point that it will ruin my day. You know, like really not ashamed to say that this whole regulation thing is is still a journey for me and it really can take me over and can change my whole mood. And I think jealousy and anxiety is a perfect one. But I just love to discuss this, like getting hyper-focused on an emotion and when it really, really takes you over. What advice would you give for people where they feel like, oh my God, but I can't, the emotion is like so strong that it's like horrendous and it's horrible to sit with? Yes. Yes. I relate to this so much. This is also something that I've struggled with. And the key is to make emotional release as healthy and safe as possible. If you're drowning in it or collapsing into the emotion, it is not going to be safe or healthy and it can actually re-traumatize you. So some really simple, that doesn't mean that they're easy, ways that you can do this are by staying with your eyes open when you are feeling the sensations of your emotions, keeping your eyes open and maybe even looking at an object that is pleasant to look at, taking in things like its color, its shape, the way that the light is reflecting off of it. And this is just a way for you to tell your body that you are safe, you are still here, you are still in the present moment. Other ways that I like to do this are by wiggling my toes, feeling the sensation of my socks against my feet, or even noticing where I'm in contact with whatever I'm sitting on. These are all going to be ways that you're telling your body, I am safe, I am still here. And then the most important one, obviously, is also deep breaths. As long as you're taking those deep breaths, you are going to feel a lot safer. I love how you said, you know, these are simple but not easy things to do. And it's it's exactly that. You know, when you feel like you're going to go into meltdown, the last thing you want to do is look at a painting on the wall because you're like, ah, oh, like I'm losing my mind and my life is over. But I think that what I've learned from you today is that often if you process these emotions and feelings like as they come up, rather than letting it get to a point where they like overflow and they overspill and they explode, that actually you can avoid it getting to that like extreme state anyway. And so I think that I'd love to, as we sort of come to end the episode, start to talk people through this concept of actually feeling your emotions. I know that you have a process that you share on TikTok and that you work with people in, in your embodiment coaching practice. But for anyone listening, how do you actually feel a feeling? Yes, this is so important. So you can break it down into a few steps. The first step is to feel the physical sensation of the emotion in your body. So in order to find that, you can ask yourself, where do I feel the emotion in my body? What does it feel like? Let's say you're feeling grief. Does it feel like a lump in your throat? Or does it feel like an ache in your chest? That's the first step, noticing where it is. The second step is to breathe into the physical sensation. Send slow belly breaths into that physical sensation. As you're doing this, two things tend to happen. One, you might start kind of losing yourself in that emotion. That's when you would want to open your eyes 
and remind yourself that you're still here. You're not getting lost or drowning in the motion. Another thing that can happen here is that your mind will start to be very active, asking yourself, why am I feeling this? What's happening? What does this mean? That's when you want to keep bringing your awareness, your attention back to the physical sensation and back to your breath. Over time, as you do this, the sensation is going to change. It's naturally going to become a different sensation. So then you bring your awareness to that new, different sensation, and you keep going with it. You keep coming back to your breath, back to the sensation. I love that you referenced the belly breath there, because I think that's such an important point of this, because I think that, again, like that we're not taught how to feel our feelings or to process our emotions as a kid or even as an adult, we're also not taught how to breathe properly, right? So I feel like so many of us, before you've done a breathwork practice or before you start on this somatic journey of embodiment, you might say, okay, I need to breathe. Okay, Angie said I need to breathe. So you might be sat there and you're just breathing like short, sharp, shallow breaths in your chest because you're in fight or flight and you're stressed. And then that kind of like hyperventilating actually drives you further into that fight or flight response because it's telling your body that, okay, yeah, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed. Like release the cortisol, release the norepinephrine, like release whatever other cocktail of drugs and neurotransmitters are released at that point. So I think that is such an important point to notice. And I wonder if you have like a tip on how to do that. Like this morning, the breath work that I did that made me feel better was like um, Wim Hof. And he says, you know, um, belly and then lungs. So it's like a two part inhale, like, so it's like you feel the breath going in and then you feel it going up to the top and like expanding your lungs. Um, How and what does a belly breath mean to you? Yeah. So one way that you can access this belly breath is by putting your hands on your belly and trying to move your hands with your breath. So if you're lying down, this might be easier lying down, putting your hands on your lower belly and trying to inhale into your belly. Another great example that I heard, and this was from a yoga teacher, I think her name is Celeste Pereira. She said, imagine that your torso is a balloon and you are inflating it 360 degrees as you breathe in. It's actually inflating even into your back. And as you exhale, it deflates. I think that's exactly it, is that it's this counterintuitive approach that when you breathe in, your belly should actually be expanding. So like Angie said, imagine that that balloon is being filled up. And it's it's so counterintuitive because we're taught as young women and particularly women to suck in, breathe in, like, you know, look skinnier, et cetera, et cetera. And then this like horrible underlying societal like brainwashing that like breathe it in, hold it in. But actually that is so damaging on so many levels that we're only going to really start seeing coming out in the next few years when people start to understand that and the connection between what that does to your pelvis and your psoas muscle and all of these kinds of things. But I think that's so important that, you know, these belly breaths, it's supposed to be like Angie said, when you breathe in, the belly is supposed to go up. So just practice like having your hands on your belly and breathing in and, and expanding the belly. It's really hard. Like I find it hard as well, but what I do find easier is that two part breath, like the, 
the the belly and then the chest and then release. So I think it does it does take practice. But I think that our key point, you know, takeaway from this episode is like just make sure that they are not short, sharp, shallow chest breaths. And then whatever you are breathing, as long as it's involving your diaphragm in some capacity, you're going to be moving into the right direction. And I think that as we start to come up for time, I've got two more questions. So I'd love it if you could just talk us through a sort of step-by-step approach of what you would do with anger when it comes up. Yeah. So it depends on where I am, who I'm with, and what I have the capacity to do in that moment. So in some moments, say I'm in public or at university, at work, whatever, and I feel really angry maybe because of an email that I received, I am not going to start screaming and hitting pillows (laughs) because that would not be safe or okay. In that moment, what I might be able to do is breathe into it or maybe take five minutes, go to the bathroom and just, I say just, but again, it's really not that easy, is breathe into it, feel the physical sensation of it. And then when I get home later, if I feel the capacity to, I might go into a rage release practice. So like I said before, for me often that looks like hitting pillows and screaming. The key is really to be sending your breath into your belly, to be moving through sound and to be moving through with movement as well. Other really simple examples of this are just letting yourself roll around on the floor like a a toddler would having a tantrum. Or another one that people really seem to like is screaming in the car. Of course, you have to be careful with this one if you are driving not to get too angry. But you could even park it and give yourself that kind of private cocoon. Or otherwise, also screaming into the pillow always works pretty well. I've never tried screaming in a car, I have to be honest. So I'll let you know how that one goes. And I think my very final question for you is about movement. Okay. So anyone that's even vaguely interested in somatic therapy, mind-body connection, embodiment is going to have seen people on Instagram, on TikTok moving, right? I just want to talk to you about this because it's something that has taken me a long while to get on board with. They dance on Instagram and they say that movement is medicine, et cetera, et cetera. I'm still at a point where when I dance, I don't feel like it's medicine. Like I don't feel like this feels amazing. I feel a bit like when I was younger, I danced with the National Youth Ballet, the the London Junior Ballet. So maybe that's why it is, is that I was always taught to be so rigid. So like everything is like being judged. And, you know, maybe this is exactly why I cannot free flow and I cannot move. But you are good at this. And there's lots of other people out there that are good at it. Do you believe that movement is medicine? And is it something that we all should be doing? And how do you do it? Like, do you do it every day? Do you only do it when you're feeling uncomfortable or discomfort? And what music do you pick? And yeah, I'd love to just understand a bit more about your movement practice, because I am trying to build a more positive experience with it. Yeah, I love that. And this is a a question I get often too on Instagram, like how, how do I start? Where do I start? I feel awkward in my body. I don't know how to move it. And again, this is not something that's easy. It might be simple in a lot of ways, but it's definitely not easy. And it's also a practice. So yes, I do think movement can be a form of medicine. Now, we don't want to gatekeep it. We want to make it more difficult than it needs to be for ourselves. So some really simple ways, the 
most simple way that I got into um, more intuitive forms of movement was by doing a practice called shaking, which is exactly what it sounds. You stand up and you shake your body out and that's the way to move kind of anxiety, fear, emotions through your body. Other ways that I do it is I will put on a song or two and I will move in the ways that I feel called to. Um, and then people tend to ask, but how do I know how I feel called to move, right? And that's a good question. What I recommend is trusting the first impulse that arises, seeing how it feels and allowing yourself to play an experiment here. And it's normal. If you feel a bit silly at the start, it's normal. If you feel weird over time, you will start to feel more freedom and more playfulness within this. I love what you just said about shaking because not only was that what I did in the shower this morning, like when it was freezing cold, I was like actively like shaking, not because I was cold, like I was choosing to do it as a way to um, withstand the cold, et cetera, et cetera. But also because of my chronic pain disorder called fibromyalgia, which I don't like to identify it with by the name because I now understand that it's just suppressed trauma. But I'm on this journey of learning how to release that trauma that gets lodged and stored in the body, in the fascia, et cetera, et cetera. And something that I've read into a lot is, is shaking. We talk about this often is that when you see an animal in the wild go through an insanely stressful experience, they're frozen in fear, you know, or they've run away. And then you watch it on YouTube, they shake it off, shake, 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 and they get that excess residue and the energy and the emotion out of their body. And I think there's also a practice called TRE, which I tried once on YouTube. It was like getting your body into a certain position and your legs start to shake and you like keep, you hold it, you hold it there. And again, you know, it's something that I said to my boyfriend, I was like, I can't believe that I've lived in pain for 16 years and I haven't tried this sooner. So yeah, this, this year is really my, my journey is, is an embodiment one. And, and so I think this is probably the perfect place to wrap up is just to say thank you for, for all that you've shared. You've shared so much around how we suppress and why we suppress and why we distract and also why we explode. And you shared so many tips and tricks into how not to do that and how to process the emotions and the feelings as they're starting to come up before they get to that point of explosion and, you know, daily practices that you can do and how to explore what feels good for you and how to communicate this with other people. So I think the ground that we've covered today has been exceptional. And I really think that we've taken so much value from you. So thank you. And as ever, I'm going to link all of your resources in the show notes from this. Everyone listening, please go and find Angie on TikTok. Please go and follow her, get involved with her content you will learn so much from her and you never know maybe she will come back on another time soon because we also wanted to talk through all things sexual energy which I think is very very important but for now for today thank you so much I'm so grateful that you have joined us and I will speak to you very soon yeah thank you so much for having me on the podcast Louise I had such a great time talking through this and I'm so excited to see what you keep producing and sharing. Amazing. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.